Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Welcome back, Brian, to the Business Leadership Podcast, continuation of the first 100-day series. Brian, can you share with the listeners today what the first 100 days mini series is all about and, and why it's really important to be paying attention. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back, Edwin. The first 100 days is a concept that we've been researching at Infotech Research Group. It was really popularized in the business world by someone named Michael Watkins, an author that wrote the first 90 days, so the first three months of being at a company. And we've sort of extended it out just to reflect that you have to put in some time before you start on day one. So at least 10 days of work before you show up at that new organization. But this is such a critical period, this first 100 days of being a new executive, it determines the success of your future career as an executive, and it determines whether the organization is going to be successful or not. Yeah, and it's it's really an exciting series. I'm really excited to be working with you, Brian, and Infotech to be instilling this knowledge, this wisdom to not only myself, but to the listeners who are joining us today. So who do we have today? Yeah, today we're going to feature Eric Wright, who is the CEO at LexisNexis Canada. Now, Eric was the Senior Vice President of Research and Consulting at Infotech Research Group. That's where I work. Before he joined LexisNexis Canada as the CEO. So LexisNexis is a technology services firm that caters to the legal industry, selling access to information and workflow solutions. A lot of people have used LexisNexis publications database to source news and academic articles while they're in university. I mean, I remember doing that when I was at Carleton. Is FP InfoMart still a thing? I'm not even sure, actually. Yeah, me either. But I met Eric at the office up at the north end of Toronto, and he told me that he didn't take any time at all between roles. So he got the job. He had two months to get ready, but he closed out the fiscal year at Infotech before going over to LexisNexis. And that's when he got to work on learning his new role. There was probably two specific areas that I broke it down into. Uh, one was around industry knowledge because I was transitioning industries. Uh, so I had a, uh, a structured plan that I put in place to wrap up on industry knowledge, which involved, you know, reading a lot, uh, listening to podcasts, uh, really understanding what's going on in the industry and making sure I had as much kind of industry understanding as I could coming into the role. Uh, knowing, of course, that, you know, it, it wouldn't be enough. Uh, and then I would have to, and, and I still do to this day, a year in, continue to spend uh, a material percentage of my time making sure I have a good and ongoing understanding of the industry and how it's evolving. It happens to be an industry that's in a lot of uh, change right now and a lot of evolution. So in some ways, it's a good time to join because things are changing so quickly that you can catch up um, with those changes and kind of be abreast of, of what's going on. Thankfully, Eric's predecessor in the role, Loic Amos, was still available. He'd been promoted to a VP role with the global organization. 
As we've talked about before on this series, being able to talk to your predecessor is so critical. And Eric understood that. Whether it's a leadership role or any role, it's common for people to just kind of want to put their own mark on thing and, you know, oh, the last person I'll ask is the person who was previously in the job. But oftentimes, you know, they're the one of the best people to start with to get their perspective. Uh, you know, I think you have to take that perspective and vet it and understand it. And, and But it is a valuable data point. It's someone who's been in the role who has an understanding of what it's like to do the job, what's going on in the organization. Uh, typically have a good understanding of the players and the people, uh, particularly customers and, and dynamics like that. And I think the opportunity to speak with my predecessor, you know, we were able to cover off, uh, you know, the key folks on the leadership team, the overall state of the business from a segment by segment perspective, uh, you know, where he thought the opportunities were, where he thought the risks are. Um, and I think those were good initial data points for me to have coming in and, and then being able to explore those things and validate, you know, did those areas of opportunity along with what I thought were areas of opportunity were those risks, uh, you know, risks that I was concerned about. And it gave me a sort of a bit of a cheat sheet to start with, which, which was great to have. So when Eric joined LexisNexis, he learned that it is a matrix organizational structure. So Edwin, in this type of organization, you have the executive at the top and they manage both a functional manager and a project manager. Those managers share responsibilities for managing the project teams. So the functional manager is the more traditional one, right? Mm -hmm. They're responsible for people in a department like marketing, finance, and then you have the project manager, and really they're responsible for the end goals or specific projects and making sure that things are completed on time. Of course, an executive has to adjust how they manage based on the type of organization they're entering. And to do this, Eric made an effort to meet everybody. So as part of my you know, initial 30 days, um, I did make sure that I had time calendared to talk to all of my peers, uh, all of my directs, uh, a lot of other people in the organization who uh, were sort of critical people at different parts of the organization to uh, A, make sure I had a good understanding of what they do, what their challenges were, um, and also to get their view on maybe the Canadian business and, and what was going on here. So that was a critical part of the first stage of information gathering is getting the opportunity to talk to to those folks and see. And also, I think it was important for me to understand what they were trying to do so that I could look for opportunities to support them as well. Because, you know, coming into a new organization, um, you know, part of building that network is not just how can people help you, but more importantly, how can you help other people, right? And if you don't have clarity over what it is they're trying to do, it's really difficult for you to try and find areas where you can add value to, to what they're trying to do. Um, so it was uh, a big part of, of my initial 90 days or 30 days really was, okay, on who are all the players? What is it they're trying to do? And you know, how can I make sure that I'm supportive of them or I look for opportunities either based on past experience or based on what was going on here in Canada to, to support their, uh, their objectives as well. Eric even went to the Philippines to meet some employees that are based there. And on his very first day, he was able to attend this LexisNexis global conference. I was lucky enough to join at a fortuitous time. Uh, the organization was having its global senior leadership team meeting in, in California. So I had the opportunity on my first day 
to get to meet uh, my peers from across the globe and to get to spend uh, the first two days uh, at LexisNexis really hearing what it is we were trying to do uh, at the global level, what the overall firm strategy was, what some of the opportunities and challenges we saw uh, were, and then more importantly, get to hear from individuals and individual organizations and business units about exciting things they were doing in their organizations. And it was a great way to start, in part because I got to meet a lot of people face-to-face in a really short amount of time, and I think uh, those those meetings don't happen all the time, and it's it's great to be able to to join and, and quickly build uh, personal and face-to-face relationships. But also it was great to just be energized by the exciting things that were going on uh, within the organization. And, and I think at the time I had mentioned to the, the, uh, the HR contact, I was like, this is the greatest onboarding approach we could probably have, is if, if every time a senior leader joined the organization we could get everyone together and talk about all these things, uh, that's a great way to start and be able to get a good perspective. As Eric was meeting his peers and staff, he had one specific challenge on his mind. He was from the professional services industry. That's us here at Infotech. Mm -hmm. And now he had to learn to serve the legal industry. So he had some new subject matter to absorb. He was pretty concerned at first about establishing credibility in this new field. But after some discussions, he was able to see the similarities. I think when I was in consulting 20 years ago, it was dominated by billable hours. You know, rates were super high. Uh, you know, you have big teams of, you know, consultants that would go out to service companies and, and just, you know, generate, uh, generate a lot of, a lot of money. Um, and then companies got a lot smarter about how they use consulting services. They started building in-house consulting organizations. Uh, they started assembling their own consulting teams from independent contractors versus hiring a firm and paying that premium. Uh, and that really shifted the business, right? There was a lot of pressure on hourly rates, and there was a lot of pressure to move to fixed price billing, uh, and that transformation really changed the consulting business model uh, a lot. And I think ultimately for the better, I think there was concern at the time that that level of pressure was going to cause the consulting business to shrink, and the move from billable to fixed price, I think, was actually beneficial to customers because they got to lock in some security. But it was also beneficial to consulting firms because it really motivated efficiency and speed of service and uh, execution excellence. Because if you could deliver, you know, the same project as a competitor for the same fixed price better, you would make more money at the end of the day from a margin perspective. And that is similar to the pressures that are facing the legal industry right now. Uh, large companies are bringing more and more work in-house they are building out their in-house uh, legal capabilities. There's a rise of what's called legal operations within uh, large corporate entities, and they're doing a lot of stuff internally that they used to do externally. And then they're also getting a lot smarter about how they procure, and they are uh, you know, taking more deals out to bid. They are asking for fixed price. They are really kind of driving that change into the legal industry law firms. Being able to meet everyone and listen to them set Eric up for some quick wins. Given his background, it's no surprise that he took a consultative approach. So he made sure to spend some time assessing everyone's views before taking action. When Eric joined LexisNexis, the company was going through this huge project of migrating to a new platform. And when basically the way it served all of its customers was getting this big update in terms of the technology. It was a major change for everyone, 
And to adjust to it required tons of communication. To me, the one that sticks out is we were able to address some of the communication issues very quickly. Uh, you know, get in front of the organization, have the town halls, have the roundtables, uh, you know, push out much more transparency uh, about what's going on in the organization, sharing data with the company and with the employees that they had never seen before about, you know, financial results or employee engagement results. I think that was a new thing for the organization and, and you know, based on the feedback and the employee engagement scores, I think was well received that, that response to showing, okay, we understand people are listening to us. Eric points out that you can't just communicate for the sake of it. You have to do it in a way that results in real employee engagement. I think you could do all of those things and not have it resonate with the organization, right? You can go and meet and talk to people and you can offer platitudes about this is what I'm thinking and blah, 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 and it doesn't really have an impact. Or you can go and meet and talk to people and you can have real conversations and share real information and, and provide real direction and it does have an impact. So I think you have to separate the doing of the activity, um, which, you know, I would agree seems like table stakes to me. Um, but, you know, you would think, well, if it was table stakes, why wasn't the organization just doing that on an ongoing basis anyways, right? right? So I think there's a difference between doing the activity and doing the activity in an impactful and successful way. So Edwin, I love this approach because it leads to so many positives. But when I asked Eric if he'd felt that he made any mistakes during his first 100 days, he said that he wished he'd taken action sooner. And this goes back to the understanding what mode your organization is in. Given that it was shifting its technology platform, I think it's fair to say that LexisNexis Canada was in a bit of a realignment mode. Mm -hmm. Plus, it had been without a leader for some time. So in this situation, it would have been best to take some actions early. But you know what? Striking this sort of balance is always so hard to do. I think it's always a matter of degrees, right? I mean, I think if you come in guns a-blazing and do this and do that, you know, you're at risk of a whole bunch of things. I think if you come in and you don't make any decisions, well, then you're, you're at a whole other risk. So it's really a question of degrees. And I think, uh, you know, if I look back in hindsight... I think I should have erred more on prescriptiveness in certain areas. And it's because of the uniqueness of, of the situation at the organization. We had new leaders in roles uh, who I think could have benefited more from, uh, you know, prescriptive guidance as opposed to consultative guidance. And um, I think that was, you know, evident now. Certainly became evident as I continued to work with them over the while and, and got that feedback and was able to, to shift gears and direction a little bit. I'll always want to use a consultative approach. I think it's critical to how I lead and, and I think critical to being a successful leader. Um, but I do think that, you know, if your team is telling you they want more guidance and, and prescriptiveness, then I think you, you need to respond to that and listen to that for sure. Even though Eric technically still had access to his predecessor, that person was now working in another continent. He thinks that working with that person hand-in-hand hand for more time during a transition would have been very helpful. I wasn't aware of how much the changes in the organization internally had had an impact on uh, the organization and how employees perceived the organization. Um, and it makes for a very brittle organization in that any any change after that is seen as a big change because it's grouped into all of the previous changes. So if you had an organization that was, say, perfectly stable for 
two years and you made some sort of departmental change, uh, you know, that would shake things up a little bit, but people would then move on if it was stable afterwards uh, and, and I think recover quicker. If you have an organization that's been through a bunch of changes sequentially uh, and then has, you know, three months of stability and then you make another departmental change, I think the tendency is for people to just group that with all the previous changes. He's like, well, you know, there's three months ago is this, and before that there was this. Um, and that makes the organization then very brittle or very susceptible to the impacts that come with organizational changes. And um, that was something that I wasn't aware of when I joined the organization and then had to adjust, um, you know, what we were doing to try and provide more stability for the organization going forward. It was also what made the communication and transparency more important as well, too, right? Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And communicating as early and as often as we could about, about those types of changes that are coming in the business. So that, that was uh, something that changed. And then I think the other thing that changed was just the complexity around the migration. Um, you know, I, I think the focus was on a, uh, you know, a single product, our legacy product. Um, but the reality is the migration encompassed, you know, 10 different products uh, of different degrees of complexity, right? So it was actually much more complex than uh, than I had originally anticipated coming into the role. So, and and I think um, I wouldn't say take longer to complete because I think we've completed it on time and, and on schedule. But I think it has taken more energy from the organization uh, than I would have originally guessed it to have taken. But I think you have to give Eric credit. He came into a new industry. He learned about it while managing through a tough technology project. Even the most experienced managers can see a big platform migration like this go badly. And you know what? Now that he's been at the new role for one year, Eric is already looking to the horizon and shaping a new vision around the new platform. And a lot of things are looking positive for this company. Well, I think it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, we've got the migration behind us. We get to repurpose our energy and capital and, and time on uh building products of the future for our customers, uh, taking advantage of this new platform that we've migrated all our customers to. So I think the future here is really about growth, and it's really about driving growth uh, through innovative products. And, you know, we've got uh, some great uh, folks in our product organization. We've got some great uh, tools and, and great uh, opportunities to build out things. There's a lot of talk in the world and the industry in general about artificial intelligence, uh, you know, the legal tech industry in which we play is one of the few where it is real. It is real artificial intelligence. It is, you know, not just something happening in the background, but we have huge sets of data. We can apply deep learning algorithms, and it really is the ability to change the game for how our customers uh, do their work and, and the kind of tools that they have. And, um, you know, parts of our organization have been able to roll out those products in their markets and the future for Canada is how do we roll out those types of, of analytical and uh, intelligence products here in Canada. And I think we have a real opportunity to do that. And that's what's exciting about, about being where we are. That was a great interview and insights, Brian. Thank you for sharing that. I really loved the aspect that Eric came in to a new industry, an industry that he's not familiar with, but understanding that leadership is transferable skills and how you bring on or take on 
your first 100 days is very applicable no matter what industry you're going into. That's right. You know what? I see a lot of executives that move between industries and subject matter. It's hard to learn. Let's not undersell that aspect of the the task at hand. But what is really hard to find is great leadership skills. And that's always more difficult to recruit for. So you find that these great leaders are able to transfer their skills from one industry to another. And also one thing that, and one topic that comes up over and over again in my regular interviews with business leaders is is really trusting the team that is in place and keeping in mind that all of them are experts in the business and you're brought in, especially with Eric's experience, uh, Eric's situation, he was brought in for this leadership quality and not the subject matter experts. Brian, it, this is really amazing insights. Can you tell us where we could find more information about this, your research, or anything else you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, everybody that's listening And maybe you're an executive that's approaching your first 100 days, or you're just feeling like it's time to hit that reset button. Come to infotech.com slash first 100. That's infotech.com slash first 100. And that's where you'll find all of our resources for completing your first 100 days, whether you're a project manager, a CIO, or a new leader in general. If this is the first time that you are listening to our first 100 days, be sure to check back on our website to see past interviews specifically on the first 100 days with amazing guests like Wayne Berger, Susan Bowen, Dave Penny, and Andrew Wirtkin. It's been such an amazing journey for me, and I'm so happy to be sharing this with you. We have one more episode, Brian, that we will be launching next and i'm super excited to have that but until next time brian i'll see you next time catch you next time thank you for listening to the business leadership podcast at the business leadership.com L-B.